Hey, Scott Walker here on You Can't Recall Courage. Thanks for joining us for our podcast. And today, of all days, June 5th, 2020, is a perfect day to have our special guest, Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish. Thanks so much for joining us, Becky. Appreciate it. It's absolutely my pleasure. What a nice thing to reconnect on this beautiful summer day. It is a beautiful summer day here in Wisconsin, part of a week or two that's actually been great and a nice diversion from all the, the chaos that's been going on, obviously, the last few months from coronavirus to the last few weeks, obviously, with uh, with the horrible, horrible news of the uh, killing in Minneapolis. And, and uh, we'll touch on that on another podcast, although I did write about it this week in the Washington Times uh, about things to do in that regard. So. Obviously, I've spoken out many times this week on it, but we thought today, since it's June 5th, uh, oddly enough, this is the eighth anniversary of uh, the recall election here in the state of Wisconsin. And if folks don't know, on June 5th, 2012, uh, both I and you, uh, Rebecca, uh, both stood individually, although we ran together, uh, but a little bit of weird background. We'll talk more than just the, the mechanics, but, but about some of our feelings and what the results were. But in Wisconsin, if there's a recall election, which there never had been before for governor, uh, both the, govern- the gubernatorial candidate and the lieutenant governor candidate uh, stand for election separately, which is very, very weird. Um, of course, we ran uh, our ads together. We ran signs together. We did everything together to make sure there was no disconnect. But technically, uh, not only did I become the first governor in American history to survive a recall election, you became the first lieutenant governor uh, to survive a recall election. And, and the vote total showed that, that people wanted to give us a shot because we actually won on June 5th, 2012, with a higher vote total and a higher percentage of the vote than we did on November 2nd of 2010, two years earlier. What, what were your feelings uh, that night? And uh just in general, what was your reaction to what happened, uh, both what you felt then and, and what you see since then? Yeah, this is weird. Governor, do I say happy anniversary under a condition like this? I feel like that's a little awkward because it really wasn't all that fun. You know, we joked over the years that there were so many people who said to us about that night, wow, that was so fun to watch. It was amazing to be a part of. And you and I thought to ourselves, both privately and then ultimately publicly a couple of times, no, it actually really wasn't that fun because we were doing our jobs. And when we were elected in 2010, we told folks that we were going to get the state back on track. And you identified very early on that our finances were in an absolute collision course post-recession because we were just coming out of that really deep recession, 2007, 2008, 2009, when you began your campaign. It was tough going out there. So many folks unemployed and our finances were in a really bad place. It was like government was the only entity in the entire economy that hadn't actually gone through the recession. And yet revenue was down because People weren't paying as much in taxes. Not as many people had great jobs as they had before. And you identified the problem, said, we need to fix it. You authored a solution. And then when the solution passed and we were finally on the right track, people absolutely went nuts. And it was a a really sad shame because 
Though we explain what would happen in the future, and of course, you know, we're looking at this through 2020 vision of hindsight. You know, the state has now saved $5.3 billion and people were, were doing well up until this coronavirus. And so things had settled. Folks did not lose their jobs. And we know that we're one of only three states in the country that has a preserved pension system. But at the time, people were really, really upset. And we became history makers. And on that night, all those years ago, it was a, a tremendous feeling that it was only, yeah, and that we could finally no get back to work. It. Well, that's just it. Yeah, the next day we got up and had a cabinet member. We got all the members of our cabinet together in the Capitol. And uh, it was weird in the sense that there was no transition, there was no inauguration, there was no uh, no activities to celebrate. We just literally got back uh, to work and did what we said we were going to do. Maybe that's what shocked people so much. You know, during uh, you're right, ten years ago, the year we were running, unemployment that year peaked at nine point two percent. We knew we had a huge budget deficit and we were coming up on a budget shortfall. Although I remember we didn't know the full magnitude of that, uh, which ultimately reached $3.6 billion until after the election. We, we knew it was bad, but I remember uh, you and I and a handful of others from, from literally the day after, uh, we, uh, we had you involved in, in all of the budget meetings. So you had, uh, you were as involved as I was in all that, and, and you probably you were surprised. We, we knew it was bad, we just didn't know quite as bad and because of that, we had to call by law, because unlike the federal government, we have a requirement to have a balanced budget. Um, once the uh, revenues and the expenditures weren't aligned within a certain percentage, we had to uh, put a law in. And uh, the, the kicker was that it, uh, in fact, that's why it was originally called what's now Act 10, was the budget repair bill. That was introduced on February 11th, 2011. And, uh, of course, shortly thereafter, that's when all hell broke loose. It started out with uh, thousands and tens of thousands. And eventually, uh, something like 100,000 people occupied our state capital. I kid my friends from elsewhere around the country. The Occupy movement didn't start on Wall Street. It started on our street in Madison, Wisconsin. But it was because, more than budgets, we were really taking the power out of the hands of the big government special interests and putting it firmly into the hands of the hardworking taxpayers and the people they duly elect, which is why you're right to talk about the billions in savings and the fact that schools and local governments now can, can staff based on merit. They can pay based on performance. That means they can put the best in the price in the classroom and keep them there. And, and that's the sort of thing that I think is not only that's worth celebrating because those reforms, uh, despite a Democrat governor and lieutenant governor today, they weren't able to undo those reforms. In fact, they didn't even try to do them in their budget, despite all their other liberal agenda items, uh, because it works. It, it really is working. And to me, I don't know about you, Becky, but I, I think as much as I wouldn't want wish that on anyone, in the end, I'd do it all over again to get those sort of results. Unquestionably, because you have two kids, I have two kids, and we care about the state. The state is, is a love of ours. It's not just a hobby that we do. I mean, this was our, our life's work. And you see those, my daughter is taking AP Psych right now. And so you see those psychological experiments where you have people in an analysis of the speeding train and then they have the lever to reroute the train. 
it was like Wisconsin was potentially a victim of a bad financial decisions over years. And what happened was the train got rerouted. Wisconsin jobs and finances and futures got saved because of it. You know, it's funny, over the years, I haven't heard a ton of thank yous to you, Governor, uh, for all of the public, the government jobs that got saved because all of these different governmental entities, of course, that did not have what you have termed the tools to deal with long-term spending issues, we're going to have to eventually face layoffs. They were going to have to pick and choose who they could keep. And ultimately, it would not have served their constituents well. You saved countless jobs when you determined that this was the right path forward and you were going to reroute the train so you could save jobs and save futures. Well, there was no doubt about it. It was a great team effort. Uh, you were key to getting that message out, as was the members of our cabinet, for that member, a number of key lawmakers. Uh, Scott Fitzgerald, our Senate Majority Leader, Jeff Fitzgerald, ironically his brother was Speaker, uh, Robin Voss, who chaired the Budget Writing Committee, and now is the Speaker, uh, some of our most stalwart supporters uh, in the legislature. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about that and talk about how that relates to what we've been going through the last couple of months and uh, what more can be done going forward. Stick around, we'll be right back. Hey, Scott Walker, back on You Can't Recall Courage, our podcast. And this week, our special guest is uh, Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish. She served with me for two terms, as I think, not only one of Wisconsin's best, but one of the best lieutenant governors in the country, uh, working on job creation. Actually, I think you visited and talked to as many prospective employers in the state as I did, or in some cases, far more. And I uh, really appreciate that. What, what's the kind of work you're up to these days? I know some people are familiar with that. Others may not be. Uh, but you're, you're continuing on that track to be uh, Wisconsin's jobs ambassador. <laughs> I am indeed. I coined that term, by the way. So you ought to be in marketing. However, I feel like you're a little bit busy saving the planet. So congratulations on all of your good work as you move the cause of conservatism forward cause of job creation forward and particularly here in Wisconsin as you know I did a short stint in Washington DC I headed a very small federal agency called the Women's Suffrage Centennial Commission it was created by Congress in order to assure a proper commemoration of the 100th anniversary of the 19th amendment which Wisconsin played a very special role in. We were the first to ratify the 19th Amendment, which allowed women the right to vote. So we will celebrate its 100th anniversary this August. Last year, I came back from D.C., and I started work as the jobs ambassador for Associated Builders and Contractors of Wisconsin. They have been named an essential industry, construction in general, continues because they are the ones that build the infrastructure. They are the ones who assure that we have a reliable grid and clean and safe water and sanitation and ways that we can get from one place to another, which has been absolutely essential in these weird times that we are experiencing 
with the onset of COVID-19, the coronavirus, which has struck in Wisconsin, not as bad in some as in some other states, but has certainly impacted life. And I shoot this very small, what we call micro series for them called Money Jobs, in addition to some other things. And it helps people to understand what the construction industry is and does and why there are very cool jobs in this industry that can't be outsourced. Because as we talk about recession um, and the, the potential for recovery and how long it might take, there are a lot of folks who are maybe looking around determining whether the creative destruction of the last several months hasn't actually been creative at all. And in fact, has jeopardized their livelihood and their living and are looking for something different. So we're helping folks out and pointing them in the direction of an industry that we know is very reliable. Well, and you talk about essential businesses. One of the things that frustrated me across the country, but particularly here in Wisconsin, was uh, over the past few months, when you look at people uh, deemed essential, those in construction, as well as the obvious ones, grocery stores, um, emergency room uh, medical professionals, pharmacies, and things of that nature. It just seems that we suspended common sense in the, in the sense that many of the folks you're working with, many of the others I mentioned, were able to safely uh, provide for their employees and ultimately their customers or consumers. Um, I don't know why it's so hard for people in, in the state, local, and even some of the federal government to understand that as we open up Wisconsin and America, we just need to continue to apply those those same principles that hiding under our bed and hoping this will all go away isn't a viable strategy, that we can be concerned about coronavirus and, and treat it seriously. At the same time, we understand we not only want to take care of our own health and the health of our families and neighbors, but we want to take care of the health of the economy. The, the two are not mutually exclusive. You can do one while being mindful of the other and vice versa. And, and you and I have talked about this as well. Yeah, I, I called you up right away, said, how do you feel about what's going on? Is this what you would have done? I wanted to solicit as many opinions as possible of people I respected because ultimately we needed to have a much more surgical approach. You and I both know that north of a certain highway here in Wisconsin, um, social distancing is a way of life. They just don't live near one another. And so for us to apply the exact same approach everywhere in the state didn't make a ton of sense. And there you started to see a, a geographic divide on people who are very, very frustrated with the continued stay at home order versus the, the people who were considerably fearful and understandably because theirs were the neighborhoods or the municipalities, the counties where they were seeing a lot of the coronavirus cases and where they were building those annexes to hospitals and that type of thing. Now, those are fearful images and powerful ones that folks saw on TV. And at the same time, when you tell everyone that we're not going to do school anymore and you have children at home and a daily reminder that, you know, there is something to be scared of, something you can't send your children out to see or confront, then you know that it's something that ought to be taken seriously. But to your point, the construction industry was able to do it. They were able to instantly put into place protocols to protect their employees 
and their bottom line. Because when it comes to infrastructure, you just don't have a choice. You've got to be able to have clean and safe water. You've got to be able to have electricity come to your lights when you flip the switch. And we know that if this industry can do it, other industries can do it. In fact, I did a lot of talk radio recently, helping folks to understand that it's great actually to borrow some of the practices of the essential industries that have been successful in continuing their work even during this pandemic. Because employers don't want their employees to get sick. They don't want their customers to get sick. Nobody wants to be sick. You just need to take extra precaution. You saw those Venn diagrams, I'm sure, all of those yeah. names that uh, basically told folks, hey, listen, I'm fully on board with being safe and I am fully on board with being completely irritated with the shutdown of the economy. It's OK to be both. I would add, yeah, you can actually have multiple emotions. You can be concerned about coronavirus. You can be frustrated with the lack of the economy being open and at the same time, you could also be worried about the encroachment on our civil liberties because we've seen that here in Wisconsin and, and all across the country. And in some ways, I think it parallels. You know, you can have all those feelings in the same way that I think for the last few weeks, it, it's been obvious to me as well that you can have the feeling of being outraged, uh, which I know I am and, and so many others are outraged at the killing of George Floyd yeah. and anything related to that. At the same time, being outraged with people who would try to hijack the legitimate frustrations that people have because of his death and hijack that for their own lawlessness to, to riot, to loot, to steal, uh, to take groups like uh, people involved in things like Antifa and, and try and stoke anarchy and other problems out there. Uh, to me, I, I think most Americans understand you can have all of those feelings. Unfortunately, many in social media and many, in, at least the national media, try to carve us out into groups that pit one against the other. And uh, I know we've had firsthand experience that with the Wisconsin. You just got to plow forward. You do. And our, our hearts are just hurting over so many of the images that we have seen over the last week that I posted the other day an image that made my heart happy. Um, you and I go to similar churches and you know the, the song Waymaker? Um, yeah. where, where it just has beautiful lyrics, contemporary Christian song that's really, really typical at a lot of large churches these days. There was a picture, it was on TikTok actually, of all of these people walking down the streets of Milwaukee, where last night you saw all these, these terrible images and you wake up and you see these pictures of graffiti and horrible things. Uh, scrawled across buildings and small business owners in, in tears and all broken up over the fact that looters and people who just didn't care about who owned the businesses came in and wrecked neighborhoods. And these people, despite it all, in the model of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, were walking down the streets arm in arm singing this wonderful hymn, this modern hymn, the hymn of today, literally taking some of the most famous words in American history to heart, that we are one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Because that's what these protests are about, right? They're about making sure that we have liberty and justice for all. 
and some folks never got the memo. It's it's yes. been it's been around for centuries, but some people just still don't get it. And these bright men and women were were calmly, were peacefully, and prayerfully walking the streets, reminding us of one of the fundamentals of American society. Fun, powerful words and uh, powerful images. One last uh, quick uh, thought and uh, and question, and that is. Again, you and I have talked a lot about that in light of your current position and our work together for eight years, having moved, helped help really the employers, because we didn't do it. We understand that the government doesn't create jobs, the people do, but we moved the environment, <clears throat> excuse me, at the state, so that uh, the state went from 9.3% unemployment uh, a decade ago to <laughs> during our last few years in, in office together. And we consistently had... Uh, uh, more jobs created in the state than ever before, and in many months, we're at or below the all-time low of less than 3% unemployment. Uh, obviously, now, for, for obvious reasons here and across the country, uh, we've got uh, so many of our, our fellow Americans, and in particular, fellow citizens right here in Wisconsin, on unemployment. It just seems, and I know you feel the same way because we've talked about this extensively, it just seems remarkably foolish uh, not only here in Wisconsin, but I would argue many other states are at fault in this regard as well. When you have these incredible backlogs of people on, on uh, seeking, uh, legitimately seeking unemployment compensation, which I think is particularly pointed now since the government is the one that shut their business down, uh, whether they're a small business owner or, or whether they're just an employee at a business, big or small, like they're shut down because of the actions of, of the government. Uh, particularly governors uh, across this country. And at the same time, we've got so many, so many state employees uh, sitting idle at home collecting a paycheck uh, that aren't involved directly in public health and public safety issues. So not what we, I think, would normally deem uh, the most essential workers. Why in the world? And, and I know I checked. I went back and checked with some of our mutual friends, uh, the former secretary of administration and others to make sure I wasn't off base on this months ago. But they could technically reassign or detail, as it's called, uh, these employees who are doing things that aren't directly involved in health and safety matters and, and reclassify them, at least in the short order, so that they were uh, able to process unemployment claims and get these people, many of whom, you know, are eating up their savings, wondering how to pay rent. That, to me, is one of the biggest untold stories uh, across the nation and particularly here in Wisconsin. And I know you feel just as powerfully about this as well. I do. My heart just hurts for people who are unemployed through absolutely no fault of their own are having to borrow money from family and friends just to pay rent or the energy bill or calling up their credit card companies and asking to defer payments. I am on a bank board and I, I the first question I asked was how many mortgage deferral questions have we gotten? Because it is heartbreaking that this administration had the opportunity to quickly reroute and assign employees to handle this incredibly important work to assure that people could stay connected with all of the accounts and stay current with all of the accounts that they have. But 
Now you're further jeopardizing people's finances. Not only do they not have a job, but because the state didn't get its act together on unemployment and there's a huge backlog and people don't know whether their, their case has been decided or not because there's no communication. There are people actually getting hung up on repeatedly because there aren't enough people answering the phones. And they're sitting there wondering and waiting and thinking, did I do something? What did I do wrong? I'm simply obeying the government's order here to stay safer at home. And my company is trying to do the same thing of my own. I'm going to wind up, you know, in a terrible financial situation. And you think of how many mental health issues are coming out of this long time shutdown. And it's not just from being cooped up inside for all those weeks. It's not just from people losing their jobs. It's the combination of all of those things that I think will contribute to very, very tough times as we recover. The Wall Street Journal said, I think two days ago, that some experts are saying that this is going to be a 10-year recovery. A 10-year recovery? And we saw this unemployment issue coming, and he didn't instantly say, hey, every single extra employee we have, into this system to answer all the calls. Let's make it a 24-hour thing so we're super responsive. Because, you know, in the private sector, they have call centers, and they're so good at call centers and customer service that they actually make money doing it. That's what the private sector is and does. And we couldn't simply take a page out of the playbook of people who are good at what they do. We instead watched this administration completely fumble. And, and I sure as heck hope they don't fumble the economic recovery here. Because, Governor, if they do, I can only imagine the suffering of the people of Wisconsin. These are our friends and our neighbors and the, the people we absolutely adore. And that's not okay. Well, you're exactly right about that. And i got to believe, again, tying two of the recent... Uh, tragic stories together you know we've got obviously uh, we've been locked down here and across the country for more than two months in many parts of the united states we have uh, incredible backlogs on unemployment we have huge stress even for those people working we've got all these variables and then we had just the unacceptable uh, senseless killing of george floyd and that alone should be enough under any circumstances to be outraged and call for changes uh, and improvements, uh, be it in training and recruiting and screening and monitoring uh, to, to make sure the men and women involved in law enforcement are, are the kind of individuals who are going to protect and serve and, and, and not uh, take advantage for their own purposes uh, situation. But I got to believe the reaction was only amplified uh, in terms of people's reaction because of all these other uh, tensions going on of, of, of a, a sense of hopelessness, of not knowing how they were going to pay the bills, what impact it would have on their family, being worried. And you see in particular, again, we don't know, there'll be, I'm sure, plenty of reports and studies in the future, but we do know statistically a disproportionately larger amount of, uh, of, of people of color, of African-American uh, individual citizens in particular, uh, testing positive for coronavirus. So you get all these factors together. Uh, and it's just, we've got to look for ways 
to address the needs that people have, not just in this moment of dealing uh, with this particular death and, and dealing with making sure that never happens again, but also with making sure that people have access to being gainfully employed, to care for their family, to get the help and assistance that they need going forward. And I know it's something that you feel passionately about as well. So I appreciate your comments on it. Yeah, go figure. We agree on something. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I, uh, I appreciate your time here today. Boy, it's been just, it's always good to talk to you. We, uh, over the past year in particular, for a while there, when you were doing some work leading the National Commission, it seemed like I'd see you more in airports than you were going around to do projects across the country. But it's always good to talk to you here in Wisconsin. We appreciate uh, your public service uh, for someone who came out of the private sector to be willing uh, more than eight years ago to step up and, uh, and, well, literally about a decade ago to step up and say, yeah, I'm willing to help serve. Uh, We just can't thank you enough. And I particularly appreciate what you're doing now to continue to be Wisconsin's jobs ambassador, to speak out on issues like in making sure that people not only have access to the training and and the expertise they need to be be employed uh, with family supporting uh, jobs, but also uh, fighting to make sure that uh, we cut down on this backlog when it comes to things like unemployment. So appreciate you joining with us. Uh, here today. And again, Scott Walker on You Can't Recall Courage. Appreciate you joining us on our podcast. Until next time, keep fighting for freedom.